You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing direct and indirect pulp capping with bioactive materials. Our guest is Dr. Lou Graham, an internationally recognized lecturer who focuses on incorporating current clinical advancements through conservative dentistry. He is a published author in many leading national and international dental journals and is the founder of Catapult Education. He enjoys providing dental care at his private practice, University Dental Professionals in Chicago, Illinois. In fact, I think he's sitting in his practice right now as we're doing this podcast. Dr. Graham, pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Always good to talk to you, Phil. So hopefully your day wasn't too bad. You're ready to do this or you're exhausted? No, I'm, I'm actually okay. I'm good. All right. Thanks. Okay. So why is it important to use pulp protecting agents in dentistry? When you did my lead-in or my intro, you say the word conservative dentistry. That's what I practice. And I think conservative dentistry relates to preservation of tooth structure as part of conservative dentistry. And so I think if you look back, Phil, even before I graduated dental school, there were studies already ongoing that said, if you leave demineralized dentin, not necessarily soft infected dentin, but demineralized dentin, you didn't have to get everything out as long as you could have a peripheral seal. And so in dental school, I was taught, you gotta take everything out. And what happens then is, you have deep caries, and if you're taking everything out, and all of a sudden you see that little bleeder, you know, your butt tightens, and you go, oh, my God, I've got a direct pulp exposure. And it was like death of the tooth. That's what you're thinking. So I think pulp protection to me, Phil, relates to conservative caries removal, which we'll talk about, and and protecting the nerve so that the essence is you don't want the tooth to end up having a root canal especially if the tooth was asymptomatic. I think that's the bottom line. You're just protecting the nerve. So what is your protocol for using a pulp protectant as far as how far you are away from the pulp? And we don't always know how far we are away from the pulp. You're right. So, you know, routinely I tell every one of my dentists at, you know, my programs, you got to have that x-ray up. Obviously a geriatric patient that nerves receded, a younger patient, going to be much higher. So you've got to know proximity before you start where your nerve is. And if the patient's asymptomatic and has some mild cold sensitivity, there's no reason to have a bulbal exposure. None. You're just drilling too fast. So I think where you can do selective caries removal, and one of my favorites, and there's two ways to go, Phil, on this. One of my favorite burrs is made by Comet. It's called the Sera burr. And I'm an electric guy, so I'll pop, you know, a syrup burr in, and at 1,500 RPMs, just 1,500, it's a ceramic burr, it just slowly removes the infected, the soft carries. And then I would tell everybody, just stop. If you want to spoon a little spoon, your periphery should be all well good dentin or enamel, and just stop. And the studies say, stop, don't expose the pulp. And the other way, Phil, is the big silver diamine fluoride fluoride approach, where you do some caries removal, and then you put basically the SDF, you know, you follow the protocol, and then a a glass ionomer over it in a final composite. So there are different ways to be conservative in your caries removal. 
Right. So the traditional way of treating um, a deep restoration where you're really concerned about protecting the pulp, in the old days, we used DICAL. What are yeah. some of the other... What are some of the other traditional ways? And then let's talk about some of the new uh, techniques that, and new materials, the bioactive materials that we have today. You know, it's interesting. So DICAL, because it was a calcium-releasing material, uh, was really, that was, that was the headliner, so to speak, in the day. And then GC came out with a liner, 3M came out with vitrobond, and you had a variety of different liners, but... I always felt that, okay, what are we putting in there? If it's a fluoride releasing, is that what you want? Or what what type of liner do you really want? And I think we've evolved today to truly calcium releasing liners. You can go from even the MTAs that we have used for direct exposures to calcium releasing products. And there are many on the market that are that are good. Um, and I think that's been the involvement of calcium releasing uh, liners today. So now we have some materials, as I mentioned, they're um, bioactive materials. And uh, Doxa is a company that specializes in bioactive materials. And they have a product that actually creates a, um, an alkaline pH, which is very important. You, and I'd like you to talk about the importance of an alkaline pH along with calcium release uh, when you're close to the pulp. Yeah, so when I'm deep and, and you're doing selective caries removal and you stop drilling, you know, there are a variety of chemicals that we can use, uh, 4%, 3%, 2% chlorhexidine, combinations with chlorhexidine. There are many out there. Doctors are using ozone. Doctors are using lasers just to do their final rinse or caries removal, so to speak, but leaving the pulp safe. And now it's time to put on your liner, so to speak. So you got to understand the basics. If you want dental mineralization, that's the key. You know, we're talking indirect pulp cap. So, and then you have a direct pulp cap, but let's go indirect right now. That the only way you can form hydroxyapatite is you need two things. You need calcium to be released from the material and the material also upon release has to be alkaline. Alkaline and calcium go hand in hand with bioactivity. And this increased pH in the alkaline properties, you have a hydroxyl ion. That's all you need to know. Hydroxyl ions are being released while you're applying this. And actually it goes up usually hour three, hour 24. The pH level can actually go up with the release over time. But here's why, and I'll get to calcium. The alkaline properties become key because you're creating an adverse environment for bacteria that you're leaving on the tooth. And everybody's leaving bacteria unless you're just, just really way over instrumenting. I will say this, when, when, you have this hydro, when you have these hydroxyl ions being released, you actually are creating an adverse environment for the bacteria. I think it's bactericidal. And also the alkaline pH also acts as an inflammatory component. And the inflammatory component, Phil, allows you to create reparative denim. And reparative denim could be in indirect or direct. That's the tertiary dentin that's formed. Right. And, and tertiary is routinely maybe in a direct pulp cap. You can get tertiary 
let's just say, even in an indirect pulp cap without pulpal exposure. And that really leads into calcium. Doxa, who I've been working with since they launched Ceramer, their baby is calcium. Nate Lofton, who I have immense respect for him, he's like the Burgess heir down in Alabama, and I have tremendous respect for Dr. Burgess, great, great guy, been to so many meetings with both of them. Nate did a study, and it was about calcium release. And I think it's very important your viewers understand that not all liners that are calcium-based release the same amount of calcium. This is key. Nate found that Serumer Protect LC released twice as much calcium than those leading calcium-releasing liners on the market today. Nate's reputation is on good data, just like uh, Burgess's data. So in my eyes, calcium release is absolutely critical. And I just want to say before we get off this, and it has nothing to do with indirect pulp capping or direct, the only implant cement that is biocompatible, proven by many studies at the University of Texas, is Serumer's implant cement. And I'm amazed when I'm reading Facebook posts, Phil, how many people are using resin cements or RMGI cements when those are all relatively inflammatory. And once they're in the tissue, they lead to years later loss of bone. Again, there are special techniques, but I, I will say this company's, their, their lifeline is calcium release and their biocompatibility with implants with Serumer implant cement is second to none. So, Sorry to get off topic, I'll let yeah. you go. Direct pulp capping or indirect pulp capping. And, and again, direct pulp capping is <laughs> an indication for that is trauma over drilling on a vital tooth where you actually perforate into the pulp tissue, but there's no real infection present. That's an indication um, where it's a small perforation into the pulp. You could use this material. And the idea is obviously to create this tertiary dentin, which as Dr. Graham pointed out, is formed both in direct and indirect applications, right? So that you get that dentin actually right over a perforated pulp. Correct. And we go from the even the MTA era when for all of us who've used MTA, which takes forever to set up, releases a ton of calcium, it's Portland cement, you still have to put something over it. With this kind of product, I truly believe you just literally, you cleanse that pulpal tissue. There are ways to cleanse it just very carefully. Stop the bleeding and place this. And this can be used for direct pulp caps. I've seen a study, I'm sure there are several, where um, Ceramere Protect LC, which is the product I think that you use, Dr. Graham, for, yep. for this kind of protection. In seven days, the electron microscopy clearly showed the hydroxyapatite precipitation. They, they show up as little needles that are forming right on the, the pulp tissue um, right. and, and they seal it off. So it's in a sense kind of growing dentin, right? Over the pulp. AKA that's tertiary or reparative dentin. Absolutely. Yep. One thing I want to end up on this podcast, and I know we're running out of time, but again, this is very important because you practice conservative dentistry. So pulp protection is part of that, right? Because the obvious reason is you want to obviate the need for endodontics down the road, but there's two points I want to ask you about. One is going to be handling of the material, but I'll get to that later. When you do this procedure, if you have a crown planned, what's your level of confidence? You've got a very deep filling or, or deep preparation because you're doing a full coverage. You're, you're putting a crown on, maybe it's even a bridge, and one of the abutments is very deep, so you do an indirect. 
are you confident that you're going to be putting in an, you know, putting on an expensive fixed prosthesis on this? It's a great question. And I would say this, what's the presenting symptoms? If the patient was complaining of long-term cold sensitivity, heat sensitivity, odds are you're not in good shape. And this product, if there's any, like you started this conversation off, if there's any pulpal inflammation already occurring, uh, this is not going to solve pulpal inflammation. It's just not. I think if I'm doing a, a crown, let's call it a crown, and I've removed an old core or there's just deep caries and the patient was mildly cold sensitive or asymptomatic, what I normally do is after I apply this and rebuild the core, I will tell the patient to call me if, if obviously they have, if they're symptomatic, and I will never place a permanent crown on a tooth that has what I would call a symptomatic. And it could be symptomatic for a variety of reasons, high occlusion, um, the temporary cement was leaking, but no practitioner should cement a crown permanently on a tooth that is symptomatic. You've got to wait and make sure it calms down. So you may have to re-cement the temporary and let it calm down or even perhaps cement the permanent temporarily. But I do have the confidence of what this material does based on the studies, of course. Right. So indirect pulp capping, I can see, you know, we could put a fixed prosthesis on top of the tooth, whether it's a bridge or whatever. Um, and we could gauge to see what the patient's symptoms are before we go to final. But a direct perforation of the pulp when you're doing an expensive case, I'm a retired endodontist, I would recommend endodontics. If you perforate into the pulp and you're doing fixed prosthodontics, I would say at this point with the advanced endodontic procedures we have today and the predictable outcome of success is so high, just from the standpoint of eliminating all these kinds of complications down the road, I would say if you perforate into the pulp and you're doing that kind of work, I would suggest root canal. Do you agree? You know what I love about us, Phil? We can agree and disagree. So being conservative, I find root canals an irreversible procedure. And so I would just say if I do a direct, have I done direct pulp caps? You bet I have. Have they worked? Absolutely. They've worked in decades now. Have some of them failed, Phil? They absolutely have. If you tell your patient, listen, this could turn into a root canal. Like I don't do big bridges anymore. I'm an implant guy. So if it's a crown and it's on a 30-year-old and I have a, a pulpal exposure, if it was in my mouth, I would do a direct pulp cap, stop the bleeding, clean it, stop the bleeding, and maybe wait a month until I put the permanent crown in. And if the patient's symptomatic, I wait longer. And Phil, you're right. If the patient's becomes just more and more symptomatic, then I'm going to send them to you to do the endo. That's how I look at it. But it's okay to have differing opinions. Yeah. And believe Lou me, I'm extremely conservative myself and I'm with yeah. 100%, Lou. But, um, and again, it depends on the perforation. If it's, you have a blown out tooth with massive caries, um, I wouldn't say blown out. If you have severe caries that's very active and it's deep, and there's a good chance that bacteria is already invaded into the pulp, that's risky. Um, but if you get yeah. this, if you get this very small, tiny uh, perforation to the pulp, and maybe because you've maybe over instrumented, and you just went a little bit too deep, and it you just it caught you by surprise, 
and you're not moving directly to a full crown, then I would say, yes, this material could be yeah. extremely beneficial. Um, well, yeah. And, and it's interesting you say that, not to belabor this, but that's why preoperatively, if a patient's asymptomatic, you got to know what you're doing so you don't have that exposure. And if it's small, then it's small. You shouldn't be having large exposures. And if you are, Phil, I just think the doctor kind of lost track of where the nerve was or the caries was just so much worse actual than the x-ray, which can happen a lot. So again, it's how conservative do you want to be? But I I will leave decay. I know people are listening. They can think I'm off the rocker, but I, I'll leave decay in lieu of a pulpal exposure. To wrap up this podcast, let's talk about handling. That's important, right? When dealing with this protective material. Tell us about that. The handling is superb. Anybody who's been a dentist in my era, Dical was known as flying Dical. As soon as you put on the tooth, even if you light cured it back when it light cured or whatever, even if it was self-setting, you put some air on it and it flew off. Half of the liners in the market would just fly off after you light cure them. This material, I will just say, walks the walk of ideal characteristics. So here's my protocol. I like to apply this on a slightly moist tooth. I like it to flow. So I will apply this in the smallest syringe tip. It's a, the size of an etching tip. So I will apply this on a mildly moist, like you could take a micro brush, blot dry a tooth, and then just apply this. It will flow. And what I love about the flow ability is you can take an explorer and guide it where other materials you can't guide. So you can actually guide it. Then when you like cure it, Phil, okay, and I'll say this, you'll have access on a margin or an area. You take a finishing diamond, a yellow or a red finishing diamond, and you start removing anything on a margin, many other products just fly off. They just come right off. This material, I've done maybe 60, 65, 60 to 65, maybe 70 restoration. I have not had this once fly off. So I think you do get an initial strong enough bond with all the added great handling to allow calcium and alkaline pH. And being low, very low in solubility, I just think this is one of those future that we have now bioactive products to use. Yeah, and uh, well said. And I think DOXA has proven itself to be a leader in bioactive material. And it's really exciting to see them progress, you know, from the days when they first came out with that one product, right? DOXA, yes. Ceramir Cement, that was the first one. Yes. Uh, no one knew what it was all about. Everybody was, you know, 3M is out there and the biggest companies in the world are out there and the small company shows up with Ceramir. And now they're just, you know, blowing out of the park with 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 these bioactive materials. Like you mentioned, you mentioned a cement for implants that's called ceramir implant cement i assume correct which is very similar to ceramir it's just a little bit more opaque on x-rays i that's i think the difference yeah right. and this product is ceramir protect lc which i didn't know much about until i did a little homework on this podcast and i realized that uh, a lot of top doctors in the in the profession are using it successfully for pulpal protection um, obviously, they're very experienced in getting that tertiary dentin. That's the science behind this whole thing, the precipitation of that hydroxyapatite, which has been very successful for them. 
Uh, Dr. Graham, it's been a pleasure. Sorry we missed you at that uh, KOL meeting in Arizona. I hope your back is feeling better, and uh, I hope to chat with you soon. You bet, buddy. Thanks for the time.